This is the One Verse Podcast, where we liberate scripture from religion one verse at a time. Well, hello there. It's Jeremy Myers, and you are listening to the One Verse Podcast. We're doing this ongoing series about hell, and today we're going to be looking at Isaiah chapter 33, verses 10 through 16. It has a lot of imagery in there about fire and people being burned with everlasting fire. And lots of people think that this refers to everlasting torture and torment and suffering and burning and screaming in hell for unregenerate dead people. I'm going to point out three things from this text which show us that this is not what Isaiah means. All right. And then based on that, this text helps us understand many, many, many other fire image passages in the Bible that talk about fire and burning and everlasting fire and that sorts of things. Okay, so that's where we're going today. Now, I do want you to know that today's podcast study is based on my forthcoming book titled, What is Hell? It is available for pre-order on Amazon. And those who have seen an early copy of it, my beta readers and some of the people in my online discipleship group have said that it is one of the best books on hell they have read so far. All right, it does not hold to or argue for any of the three major views on hell, but takes a completely different view, which I believe is supported and taught by Scripture. So that is the book, What is Hell? And it is coming out at the end of May, first part of June. Now, as you wait for that book, I would encourage you, if you've read any of my other books, can you do me a favor? Go to Amazon and leave a review of them. I was just checking my customer reviews last night, and a few people who do not like what I have written have left me some one-star reviews. And it's always frustrating getting these one-star reviews because 98% of them are from people who have clearly not read the book. In fact, this one person, her name is Virginia Grace, maybe it's a person who lives in Virginia, I don't know, only read the sample uh, available on Amazon. You know the sample? You can go and download or read a sample to a Kindle book, which is usually like 10% of the book. You know, that's not even the first chapter of the book. And uh, Virginia Grace said, I was disappointed by the fact that he was not writing the book to Christians, but was spending too much time worrying about what unbelievers might think of the blood sacrifice. If he could explain this to Christians, it would be great. Forget the lost people. (laughs) Forget the lost people. Anyway, forget the lost people. Edify the church. The Bible says, but if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost. Hopefully, he will be able to write a real book soon. And that is a one-star review on my book, Nothing But the Blood of Jesus, which Virginia Grace did just from reading the Kindle sample. Uh, She didn't even buy and read the whole book. If she had, she would know that the book is written to Christians, not just to non-Christians, and it does talk about the blood sacrifice. I think non-Christians will benefit from the book as well, but that was not my primary target audience. So if you're a Christian and you want to know about the blood sacrifice, why Jesus died, uh, the purpose of Jesus going to the cross, anyway, Nothing But the Blood of Jesus is a good book for that. The point is, look, some people have left some negative one-star reviews, and if you have read and enjoyed some of my books, you can help me overcome some of those bad ratings from people who haven't even read the book 
by going and leaving an honest review of your own. Okay. Thank you so much for doing that. And for those of you who have already left reviews. Now let's get into our study of Isaiah chapter 33 verses 10 through 16. So uh, Isaiah 33, 10 through 16 is representative of many of the prophetic texts in the Old Testament. Honestly, there are scores, hundreds of texts from the Old Testament that we could go look at, which would help us see what the Bible teaches about fire and everlasting fire specifically. And I just chose Isaiah 33, 10 through 16, because I feel like it is representative of a lot of these Old Testament passages and prophetic texts, which help us understand the imagery of fire in the Bible and the fire that comes upon people who disobey God. All right, so let me just sort of read the text for you. And the text, uh, it says this, Isaiah 33, 10 through 16. Now I will rise, says the Lord. Now I will be exalted. Now I will lift myself up. And here comes the important verses. You shall conceive chaff. You shall bring forth stubble. Your breath as fire shall devour you. And the people shall be like the burnings of lime, like thorns cut up. They shall be burned in the fire. Hear, you who are afar off, what I have done. And you who are near, acknowledge my might. The sinners in Zion are afraid. Fearfulness has seized the hypocrites. Who among us shall dwell with devouring fire? Who among us shall dwell with everlasting burnings? He who walks righteously and speaks uprightly, he who despises the gain of oppressions, who gestures with his hand refusing bribes, who stops his ears from hearing of bloodshed and shuts his eyes from seeing evil, he will dwell on high. His place of defense will be the fortress of rocks. Bread will be given him. His water will be sure. Okay, so that's the text that we're sort of considering here. And I'm not going to look at all of the verses, but just primarily verses 11 and 12 and 14. Because those are sort of the key texts which talk about the imagery of fire and burning in this passage. And there's three key insights that are going to help us understand this text, as well as all of the other texts from the Bible that talk about fire and burning. Now, I'm not going immediately to the New Testament because obviously many of our New Testament writers and readers were very familiar with the Old Testament, the Hebrew scripture passages and texts. And so it's important to understand first what the Old Testament, what the Hebrew scriptures teach about fire and burning. And then that imagery is going to help us understand the New Testament text about fire and burning, which we'll turn to next week in a next podcast study. So first of all, note in this text very, very carefully that it is not uh, primarily or exactly people who are burned, but what they produce that is burned. Okay? Isaiah writes that the people of Zion will conceive chaff. They will bring forth stubble. All right? And, and these terms, conceive and bring forth, they are terms of conception and childbirth. They... Uh, it's so it's it's showing what they bring forth out of their lives. So it's not the people themselves, it's what their 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 lives produce. Okay? It's not that they themselves are the chaff, the stubble and the thorns, rather those things describe what is coming out of their life. 
Now, having said that, if at the end of your life, your entire life's work is destroyed, yes, it will seem like you have been destroyed, all right? Like your entire life is destroyed. And in fact, when other New Testament and Old Testament passages talk about this, sometimes that does use a metonymy, which is using one word for another. And even we see this here, where it talks about the people uh, becoming like uh, lime, which is the, the dust that is left, this fine white powder that is left after in a lime kiln. It's very fine. It just blows away with a puff of wind. Okay, so uh, other texts and this text do talk about people sort of being burned or coming to nothing. But again, I think this is metonymy for using one word for another. When your entire life is burned up, it does feel like you are burned up, like you have come to nothing. But First and foremost, in this text, it's not referring to the people, it's referring to the fruit of their lives, the produce, what they have produced out of their lives. And if everything you have worked for, everything you have strived for, everything you have accomplished in this life, if it comes to nothing, if it's basically just wood, hay, and stubble, and it gets burned away, it becomes a puff of dust, you know, lime dust that's blown away by the littlest piece of wind, breath of wind then yeah, it feels like your life has burned away. It has been worthless. Okay? Now, again, many New Testament passages and Old Testament passages do talk about people being burned up. All right? But in each case, as we'll see in future studies, the passages are always referring to physical death. Okay? When a passage in the Bible talks about people being burned up, all right, it is referring to physical death in this world, in this life. It is not talking about everlasting death or eternal torture in flames of fire where people scream and suffer for all eternity. Okay? There is not a single passage in the Bible that talks about people being burned in screaming, torture, suffering for all eternity in flames of fire. And we will be looking at some passages, if you, if you think there are some, we will be looking at several of the main passages in future podcast study, which some people think do indeed talk about that. And we'll see that on careful consideration of those texts, they do not. So anyway, the first thing then from here in Isaiah is the primary thing that gets burned up in this passage and in many, many, many other passages from the Bible is not the people, but the work of their hands, the, the produce, what they produced in their life, okay? And uh, so, so, so that's the first thing. And yes, this passage does, again, this passage does briefly mention about the people becoming like uh, lime, okay, which is referring to the people themselves coming to, uh, to an end. And if that's referring to people dying, then again, it's not everlasting burning and suffering. It's them, people themselves dying in this life, maybe as a result of war or something, destruction that comes upon a city. And that brings us to the second key thing to focus on, to, to uh, recognize from this text. Lots of people have pointed out to me in recent podcast studies, because I haven't mentioned it, but I am going to mention it here, that the word everlasting or eternal can have different meanings depending on the context. And I am well aware of this fact, uh, and I think that this idea does help us understand Isaiah 33, 10 through 16. For example, in verse 14, all right, the word everlasting there, in, the, in, in some people think that this everlasting fire, this everlasting burning is referring to people burning forever 
in the everlasting pit of hell or something like this, right? But the second point to recognize from this text is that while the term everlasting, yes, I do believe that oftentimes in Scripture it does refer to a time period without end, a period of time that never ends, it can also refer to an event that has limited duration, but with effects that last for eternity. Okay, so if we were to talk, and that is what Isaiah is talking about in this passage, uh, about a house burning down for eternity, well, obviously a house doesn't burn down for eternity, but the house can burn down limited it's going to burn down in a couple hours or half a day, a day or something like that. But then it, uh, you know, if it's never rebuilt, and that means it would have effects that last forever. So, uh, and we we could say it's everlasting burning or everlasting fire. Well, the fire didn't burn forever, but it was a, a fire of limited duration that had everlasting consequences, everlasting effects. And I think that helps us understand passages like Isaiah thirty three fourteen that do talk about everlasting burning. In this text, people who are alive are basically saying that the works of their lives have been destroyed with everlasting burnings. In other words, their works are coming to nothing and nobody's ever going to know what they have done, know what they have accomplished in life. All their efforts to fame and popularity and glory have come to nothing. No one's ever going to hear about them. And they are afraid because they have lived hypocritical lives. And they see all that they have worked for, all that they have accomplished— consumed by fire, having no lasting value, significance, or remembrance for all eternity. Now, what fire are they referring to? The fire that they're referring to here is this fire that consumed Jerusalem in 586 BC when King Nebuchadnezzar invaded and destroyed Judah along with Jerusalem and the temple. Now, is that fire still burning in Jerusalem? No, it is not. Isaiah was prophesying about it, though, and it did burn for a long time. It destroyed the city, it destroyed the temple, but the fire eventually went out. However, the consequences of that fire are still thought about, known about, experienced even to this very day. All right? Everybody who had built the city back then, a lot of what they had done and accomplished has come to nothing, and nobody has heard anything about what those people have done. It burned ashes long ago and has forever been forgotten. Okay, now you say, yeah, but Jeremy, (laughs) Jerusalem is there. Yes, that's right. It was rebuilt. And in the days of Jesus, even the temple had been rebuilt. Now it it was destroyed again in AD 70. So uh, this is just showing that, um, that even though something is destroyed with everlasting fire, it doesn't mean that it won't be rebuilt. It's just once again going back to this idea of everlasting consequences, everlasting effects. Those people at that time who had poured their life and energy into thinking that they were going to make a name for themselves, make themselves great, accomplish things that would make them famous for eternity. No, all of that vanished, disappeared, was burned away. Though the everlasting fire prophesied by Isaiah destroyed many of the people and the works of their hands, Okay? That wasn't the end of the Hebrew people, right? They're still in existence today. Many of them live in Israel today. And uh, many of them are very influential in this world today. They rebuilt Jerusalem. And uh, many of them have experienced much glory today. 
Okay? The point is, it's only the work of their lives, of the people at that time, who was bur- which was burned away into nothingness. And here's the other thing, very, very important. Just because the people themselves might have died, and just because everything they have worked for in their life was burned up, that doesn't mean that the people themselves will spend eternity separated from God or something like that. In fact, it's very possible, quite likely in fact, that many of the people who died into the destruction of 586 B.C., and who saw the work of their hands destroyed and burned up, it's very likely that many of them are right now with God in eternity. And you and I will be able to celebrate and experience eternity with some of them. How do we know that? Well, because Isaiah calls them hypocrites in the text. A hypocrite, what is a hypocrite? A hypocrite who uh, is in their nature, in their character one way, but they act the opposite. And we could go through Isaiah and see how these people were acting and behaving. They were not acting and behaving the way God wanted them. They were acting the opposite way, with selfishness and greed and lust and all sorts of things. And Isaiah is saying, no, you are someone different. You are the people of God. You're supposed to behave in a different way. God wants you. Your nature, your character is calling you to behave righteously and with justice, as Isaiah goes on to describe, by the way in verses uh, 15 and 16. But he says, you're a hypocrite because you're, obey- you're behaving the opposite way. By the way, it's not just the Israelite people that this is true of. New Testament talks about this all the time. Jesus condemns people as hypocrites. Uh, we see that in Matthew 15, 7, Luke 13. Paul once referred to Peter and Barnabas as hypocrites. We cannot say that just because someone's a hypocrite, they're going to spend eternity separated from God. No, Peter and Barnabas are called hypocrites by Paul. (laughs) I think, (laughs) I expect to see Peter and Barnabas with God in eternity, and I imagine you do too, but Paul calls them hypocrites. They were not behaving the way their nature and their character, in accordance with their nature and character. Okay, so here's the thing. Even though someone is described as their life being burned up with everlasting burning, and even though they themselves might die physically as a result of that everlasting burning, which is referring to the death of their life here and now on this earth, that has nothing whatsoever to do. It says nothing, one way or the other, about their eternal destiny. Just because someone is a hypocrite, yes, they might experience some consequences of those decisions in their life, but this does not automatically mean that they are not part of the family of God. Someone someone can be part of the family of God and be a hypocrite. Okay? So uh, that's just, just one of the things that this text shows us. Third and finally then, from Isaiah 33, uh, 10 through 16, very, very important truth here. Notice that the fire is not from God, but from the people themselves. Lots of people say that the fire of judgment, you know, comes down from God and burns up the sinners. But Isaiah is very, very careful to point out where the fire comes from. And it does not come from God. The fire of Isaiah 33, 10 through 16 comes from the people. Isaiah writes, your breath as fire 
shall devour you. Okay? Now, this is not to say that there are not passages in the Bible that talk about fire coming from God. There is. Lots of times, though, that is a purifying fire. And again, we'll be talking about that in future podcast episodes. But even in those passages, I'm convinced that this passage of Isaiah 33 sort of gives us a peek behind the curtain about what is actually happening when these fires of judgment come upon people. And I would say that in almost every case, these fires of judgment are self-inflicted fires. <laughs> They're fires we start in our own lives ourselves by what we say and what we do. Just goes back to this basic principle, which I have talked about and written about extensively, that sin bears its own punishment. All right, Rebellion carries with it the flames of ruin. We could probably put it that way. In other words, actions have consequences. Words have consequences. And when we say things or do things that are contrary to God's will, we shouldn't be surprised when destruction and devastation come into our life as a result of those things. And God didn't send those destructive consequences into our life. No, they are a natural consequence of what we said and what we did. And this is why, by the way, God warns us against sin in the first place. He doesn't warn us against sin because if you do that, you know, I'm going to rain fire down upon you. No, God warns us against sin because he's saying, look, I love you. I love you so much. And I don't want to see you get hurt because I love you. And so don't do this. Don't say that. Don't go there. Not because I'm some cosmic killjoy trying to destroy your fun. No, (laughs) but because I love you and don't want to see you get hurt. I don't want to see you hurt your family members and your loved ones and your health. So don't do those things. If you do those things, there will be consequences that naturally come upon you as a result. Far too often, though, we humans say, thanks, God, for the good advice. I'm going to go do it anyway. And we do. And then consequences and destruction and devastation comes into our life. And we say, God, why are you doing this to me? And God says, I'm not. You did it to yourself. I'm going to help you. I can forgive you, right? There's going to be, yes, some discipline and some restoration that's going to be involved, redemption even, right? Uh, But I'm not sending the fires of judgment upon you. I'm not sending this pain. I'm not inflicting this devastation and destruction on you. Uh, You brought that on yourself because you did not do what I said. That's what's going on here in Isaiah 33. God has been warning the Israelite people, about what will happen to them if they continue in the ways they're going, if they continue to say and do and think the things they are. And Isaiah is saying, look, (laughs) devastation, destruction, fires is coming, and the fires are your own breath. And indeed, when we go and look at history, for example, in 2 Kings 20 and 24 and 25, it is, in fact, the very words Isaiah said, your breath like fire, okay? Breath is what we say. It was the words of Hezekiah that brought this destruction and devastation upon Jerusalem in the first place, okay? Hezekiah said some foolish words to the ambassadors from Babylon. Remember that? He boasted to them. 
There's his breath, his words. He boasted to them about the treasures of the temple, and he showed them the riches that were within it. Now, what did he think was going to happen? They're going to go back home and say, yeah, it's a rich country. Let's leave them alone. No, he boasted to them. And so the Babylonians went home and said, you know, that is a rich country, and I think we can take them. And of course, that's exactly what happened. King Nebuchadnezzar sent into his army against the city, and they destroyed it. And uh, that is what Isaiah is talking about here. Your breath as fire, your words are coming back to burn you. King Hezekiah, the Israelite people, the people of Jerusalem. And eventually the entire city with the temple was burned with fire and its inhabitants were carted off into captivity by King Nebuchadnezzar. So look, Isaiah 33, 10-16 is a guiding paradigm for helping us understand all of the passages about Scripture and fire, about fire and burning in the Scriptures. Okay? Um, they, they, they usually are referring to destroying the works of our lives, what we produce in our lives, because it's not godly, it's not righteous, it's not something that lasts. It's wood, hay, stubble, and straw. Okay? But uh, even then, uh, sometimes people do die. They are burned by these fires. And in this case, once again, it has nothing whatsoever to do with where a person spends eternity. It's just about the people dying physically in this life and the work of their hands being destroyed as well. And yes, sometimes these fires have everlasting consequences. But again, it's not about people suffering and burning and screaming forever in flames of fire for all eternity. It just means their work gets burned up and is forgotten in the flames of time, in, the, in history, nobody remembers them and what they've done. And all of their work got burned up. Okay, They're, The fire and thorns are put to flame, and just a fine white powder is left behind. A puff of wind comes along, blows it away, and that's it. That's it for their life. And that is what Isaiah 33, 10-16 is talking about. It helps us understand many of the other fire passages in Scripture. I hope that as we go forward next week into some of these New Testament passages, we're going to be looking at Matthew 3, 10 through 12 next week, that what we've looked at today will be called to your mind. And it will help you understand what many of these fire and burning texts in the Bible refer to. Now, If you're listening to this sometime later in 2019, you're sort of behind in your podcast listening, and you want to know right away what some of these passages mean, look, just go to Amazon and get my book, What is Hell? And it has a study on Isaiah 33, plus dozens of other biblical texts, and lays out all of the arguments for this view on hell that I am presenting, what it is, how to be delivered from it, and how we can also rescue other people from hell. So uh, that book is available on Amazon and pretty much, or will be, every other place that you can buy books, Barnes & Noble, Kobo, Apple, iTunes, and so on. But if you're right now in the middle of uh, April, then you got about a a month to go before that book is out. I'm sorry. There will be an online course that goes along with it in part of my discipleship group, and that will be found at redeeminggod.com slash courses. Thank you so much for listening. And if you enjoy this podcast, and also if you enjoy reading some of my other books, some reviews on Amazon would be extremely helpful. Uh, It's encouraging to me to see what people say about the books. 
Also, your review helps other people determine whether or not they want to buy and read those books. And then also, your review, if it's a you know four or five star review, helps overcome some of the people who leave one star reviews even though they never even read the book. So that's always helpful as well, just to sort of overcome those. Amazon doesn't take those down. I get it. Whatever. It's fine. Part of the game. Part of publishing. Uh, and uh, but, but if you've read the books and want to provide some encouragement and help other people, uh, that would be a great way, great thing to do. Thank you so much. Join us next week. We're going to be looking at Matthew 3, 10 through 12, another passage, famous passage that some people think refers to burning forever in hell. But I'll tell you right now, it doesn't. Join us then, and we'll see why. Okay, talk to you then. Bye.